This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You want to see something really scary? You bet. Music. Horror. Art. Politics. And overall badass. Welcome to Kettle Whistle Radio. For real. On Society 13 Networks.
for tuning in to Kettle Whistle Radio. Very special guest here, uh, going back some years from me. Um, we just heard one of his songs. Uh, it, it, that was Pay Me, Pray Me, which to me is just a, it's just a brilliant song. Just a great thing to start off with, like sort of how Jane's Addiction would end an album or start off with. I don't know if you're a James fan, but I have Hugh Bernard with me right now from the band Nature. If you, anybody from back in uh, the late 90s can remember that band, phenomenal band and one great CD. Hugh, are you there? I'm here. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I'm a huge fan. Hey, thanks. <laughs> yeah, so excited <laughs> to hear that. All right, well, you know, Skype is a weird thing. I'm just glad we could connect. And uh, I just got to say thanks for doing this. And um, all right, well, let's. I got to talk nature real quick. Uh, funk, metal, jazzy, industrial, you guys would call it all. And this was like, yeah. what, 95? Yeah, mid-90s. Okay. That was the problem, by the way, was all those things you just listed. Yes. Marketing the band was... was was highly confusing. <laughs> I'll bet. But I mean, coming off the heels of like the bands in the late '80s, I, I don't know. I think you guys got a raw deal because you had it all, as far as I'm concerned. Um, oh yeah, it was it was confusing and strange. <laughs> strange time for music. Uh, just it got w- worse from then on. Um, you know, one thing they were always talking about was, oh yeah, it's like sort of metal. You know, like we should market you guys as a metal band, especially because they wanted to push the song Cometh. Right. But that song had so many uh, keyboards in it. Mm-hmm. You know, metal guys aren't really into the excessive keyboard thing. And also, you know, in retrospect, the mid-90s, actually all the 90s were kind of the dark days of metal, weren't they? Yeah, they were, they were. Uh, grunge had killed it, supposedly. I, I love grunge. I always, th- I looked at you guys, though, because I'm a Faith No More fan and Mr. Bungle fan, so I was looking for oh, that. Yeah. I was really looking for that. Were you guys uh, fans? Oh, yeah. No, uh, I, I remember driving around Hollywood listening to the first couple of Mr. Bungle albums when we were going to, you know, S&M clubs and whatnot. Yeah. It's sort of a good soundtrack for early to mid-90s Hollywood. Absolutely, yeah, Bungle. I mean, I and they're still, well, they were still going for a little while there. But I, when you guys, like, all right, you put out Cometh, there is a video for it. Um, people should know that if they didn't know that. Uh I just I was so surprised and happy to see that video still on YouTube, which is great. Um, what happened with that? Just like the video came out and there wasn't going to be a second release. Was there a second release planned? Oh, you mean you mean of a single or yeah, an well, album? A single. Cause I'll, let me tell you how I found you guys. I found you guys on a sampler disc in uh, early '95, I guess, uh, with, yeah. called the Bogmen. There was a group called the Bogmen that had a sam- sampler. Yeah, and, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember that? I heard. Yeah, I heard you guys on there. I immediately bought the album after that. Well, yeah, we were, we actually, the first single that we wanted to put out was for Z-Man's Party, and they wanted to put out Cometh, and then they were going to put out Z-Man's Party, but then the record label sort of fell apart after that. That's that's a common story. Yeah, that was sort of the period where the music industry went through its its initial wave of collapse, and we were sort of uh, caught up in that. And again, with the confusion, the confusion about how to market the band, Mm -hmm. they just really didn't know what to do with it. I remember when we first got signed, uh, they had a lot more employees, and basically the, the first thing that happened after we got signed is they like fired all of their A and R people except one guy. Oh you know, so so <laughs> immediately upon signing the contract, that the, the ranks of their employees were, were was decimated. That's that's uh, God. That happens so much in the late '90s. A lot of good bands in early 2000 too. I don't know if you're familiar with a band called The Final Cut. Um, Anthony Schrock. He's been on here a few times. He has now Full Effect Records and signed Faster Pussycat on his label. He, he right. he's making a comeback um, from that, from losing the label and all that fun stuff that went down. Where all these good bands just kind of like disappeared, and I, that's why I had to dig up you guys, which was not easy. Do you mm-hmm. guys? I know you talked to at least one of the guys. Do you jam with them anymore? For the guys from Nature. Well, you know, let's see. No, I haven't talked to any of those guys in a long time. Oh, 
Brian, I had, you know, I was friends with for a really long time. I actually met Brian. We met when we were uh, 12 years old and went to high school together and played in bands together. And uh, we were going to continue to, we actually had some projects after nature, but, mm-hmm. you know, that nature thing was sort of a devastating experience. Uh, and then he went to film school, which we were, we were going to work together in that industry. But, you know, that nature experience sort of spoiled everything. But I don't know if you know, like, the Crank films, the uh, Jason Statham and Gamer. Yeah, and, uh, sure, sure. Yeah, that's, that's, that's Brian. He made those. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, there Weird, you go. right? There is life after that. I was just happy to find you, and it was ni- you know, nice enough to connect with me. And I, I got to tell you, the baselines for <laughs> for nature just stick out. And now, we're gonna, of course, we're going to talk about what you got going on here. And I apologize for not keeping up with you because you have a lot going on. Uh, you know, it's no problem, man. You know, it, it took me a long time to get back to music. You know, uh, there were definitely a few years there where I didn't do much of anything. Uh, and then I discovered I still had the passion for it. And I was probably the only guy in the band. You know, I think that, that Andrew got married and moved and doesn't play music anymore. I think I heard from Brandon that he was playing drums in a blues band somewhere in L.A., but we weren't able to hook up. I'd, I'd love to play with him again because we were a really good rhythm section. But, uh, you know, it, it ended up being a, a destructive experience uh, in a way that I think everyone regrets. Hmm. And it, it, it took some it took some time to recover from that. I mean, when we first came came on the scene and started playing, it was extremely exciting, and yeah. the live performance was really an incredible thing. I'd say for about six months, we felt like we were the greatest band in the world, <laughs> and uh, you know, incredible ambition, uh, incredible energy. energy, and then mm-hmm. we, then what happened is what happened, you know, which is not that uncommon of an experience, but it's still kind of devastating. The things I read about your live performance, people would just walk in there, not know what the hell was going on, but somehow they were just like excited by it. That's, yeah, right. that's what I like to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, it got to the point where we could just sort of show up and and basically destroy the environment. I mean, we would we would manifest huge amounts of energy, just just kind of on call, uh, and uh, you know, leave it a, leave it a smoking ruin. Uh, it was really good for a while. There it was it was an incredible experience and. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just too bad that it, that it ended up the way that it did. Yeah, there was just so much creative creativity in that, that album alone. I mean, it's just so much and so much fun. It, it yeah, it's hard to when you say that. It, I feel like, wow, why did I dig this up and bring you down? Um, no, it's fine, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, by the way, I, I, there's some there's some there's some tracks on that album that did not make the album that I have. One of my I, questions. I don't know what to do with them. Yeah, I, there's a couple of tracks that were cut that were finished. Uh, and I still don't know what to do with them. I keep thinking there's going to be a re-release of the album and we can do some mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, revisioning of what it was initially supposed to be. So I haven't put them out yet because I don't really know hmm. how to go about it. Bandcamp but, maybe? Um, what is the, uh, well, I mean, there's all, the, there's all those options. Yeah. Um, I just don't know the best way to do it. Hmm. But uh, you would probably really enjoy at least one of these songs. Oh, I'm sure I will. I hope to hear them one day. Jeez. Uh, just we were to- actually... The point was that we were going to save it for the second album, which never actually happened. I I mean, I I knew you guys had to have something else going on there, because not everything makes the cut on the first album. You always have stuff that you have to leave out, or better yet, a follow-up that you just can't wait to do. Um, Just as far as nostalgia, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll... 
you know, in the nature segment here before we get into what's really going on with you right now with uh, just a nostalgia of the music. Z-Man's Party got Russ Myers uh, Beyond the Valley yeah, of the right. Dolls going on there, right, based, right. based on Z-Man, of course. Right. Cometh, you had samples from Evil Dead 2. Um, right. You Only Live Twice, you got James Bond remake-ish going on there. And, of course, uh, the song I really want to play, I've been dying to play, is Justine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just yeah, hilarious. Sample, sample clearance was a bitch. I'll bet. <laughs> how did you get Sam Raimi? I mean, you... <laughs> he was totally cool. He was fine. Uh, who else was fine? Uh, we had to get Roger Ebert's approval to use the samples from Beyond the Valley of Dolls because he wrote the screenplay. Wow. And uh, yeah. we sent him a, a faxed contract, and he just wrote the word okay on it in giant <laughs> letters and sent it back. <laughs> I think Sam Raimi wanted like a dollar. I believe it. I believe so, it. So it was all good. Then other people were, were more difficult. We had to take some stuff out. Like we had some Clint Eastwood samples on there that we had to remove because there was just no way that was going to happen. Um, that was on the song uh, Do a Crime. Yes. And we sent the we sent the track to Clint Eastwood's people, and they were like, yeah, we're not even going to play it for them. <laughs> 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 oh, man, but still, it's a great story. Um, but And then Justine just sticks out because it's just you know, all about Mallory from Family Ties, and it's just so, yeah. so tongue-in-cheek. I love it. Um, I don't know, like, who came up with it, and who was the first one to play the riff? Like, is this yours, or...? That was actually that one and Cometh. Those were both uh, tracks that that Brian brought right. in. I think Justine he he pretty much did, did in its entirety. All the other stuff we we created sort of jamming together. We had you know we we jammed together for about a year before we ever played or got signed, and uh, we would show up in this little concrete room in the arts district of uh, downtown L.A. Uh, like off to the side of this much larger loft, um, this concrete room with no windows and jamming there for hours and hours, Brian would bring some samples he had um, on a keyboard, and the rest of us, we would just play for hours making cassette tapes on the open air. Oh, man. Amazing, amazing stuff. I mean, that was the initial rush of uh, creativity right there. It's fantastic. An, an incredible period. And then he would take that stuff home and, uh, you know, uh, arrange it and write lyrics for it. So a lot of the stuff came about that way. But there were a couple songs where Brian came in with, you know, I remember the day still when he came in with the uh, with the sequence for Cometh, all the keyboard and uh, electronic drum parts, all the samples. You know, he just came in with it one day. That was we had, we had moved to a different building uh, down the street, and uh, you know, he's like, "Hey, check this out." I woke up in the middle of the night and just did this and <laughs> played the sequence to Cometh, and I was just you know completely floored. It's like, we, can, can we play this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's badass. I, I mean, it, it sounds, real, you, between your bass and the rhythm section, it's like bouncing a basketball 100 miles per hour, just r- ripping the floor apart. I always love that sound. And it, just like the segments where the guitar stops and you just hear that riveting beat and bass going, it's like, wow, this yeah. is this is fun stuff, man. Well, see, that, was, that was the thing about it, was that it, it had that, that heavily electronic element but then there was real playing going on in combination yep. with it and most of the electronic music you hear that's in combination with real musicians the music the musicianship isn't as strong but we were coming on really strong so those two things in combination <laughs> that's what created the impact i think well on that note um I, I, i'd like to play justine are you are you good with that sure yeah <laughs> oh yeah all right well all right we're just gonna take a break we'll be right back with hugh bonhar Thank you, folks, for listening. What next? Rome, Carthage, Babylon, Sodom, Gomorrah? When some could finally get their libidinal satisfaction... 
Only through the sex acts of the Marquis de Sade. back folks friends and fiends i'm here with hugh bonar from the band nature and now hb3 uh we you just heard justine it's just a favorite of mine because i just it just makes me smile and I, I really love getting to play that um i have to ask you if you you guys were there before the end of the century <laughs> and yeah. the, the music world changed and it's funny yeah. like you guys saw it about to change Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the worst was Napster because it killed a lot of bands off. But where do you stand with the whole Napster thing? Well, you know, I guess I liked it when I had no money. But then when I was able to afford to actually buy a CD again, I, right. I, I, I sort of, I sort of turned the other way. Mm. And I mean, you know, I'm on Spotify, and everything that they say about Spotify is true. I get plays on one of my albums 
uh, consistently the album called uh, The Veld. That's actually the album with Tammy Framey on it. I get hundreds, if not thousands, of plays a month. Nice. And then I, but yeah, but <laughs> mm. then I get you know like twenty cents. I get like micro payments in like you know the the hundredth of a fraction of a cent. Yeah, I was afraid. I, I I knew that about Spotify. That's why I didn't say that first. I said Bandcamp because I think Bandcamp is better for the bands. From what I yeah, it's it's crazy. So you know, it, it, it's hard to make money. I'm glad I have a job. You know, I'm lucky. Who was that guy? And you know, did you see uh, the guy in Creed who's living out of garbage cans or whatever? <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, but I mean, and here it is in my hands. This is the actual CD of Nature. I actually own the CD. Where do you feel with all this digital stuff going on? Like, where do you feel? Like, do you miss the CD, the album, or are you okay with the MP3? No, I, I, I do. I've been getting into uh, HD tracks and and okay. you know spending way too much money on high resolution downloads and I can tell the difference and I, I try and record now in, 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 as high resolution as I can and yeah it makes a difference I think the high resolution downloads are sort of getting closer to the uh, you know whatever term you want to use to describe the vinyl experience uh, or even you know if you want to talk about the loudness words I think we just barely missed that uh, in, in the mid 90s but by the time you know five years later uh, with the first onrush of mastering plugins, they sort of go crazy with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, again, the, the fidelity of what you're hearing uh, uh, takes a hit. But, yeah, I, I still like uh, physical media, but it, it's pretty much gone at this point. You know, I, I will probably put some stuff out on vinyl in the future, though, I, I'm not exactly sure why. Uh. <laughs> it's been, it's kind of collectible. People are going back to find the few vinyls on the yeah. shelves these days. You know, I, I did, I did an EP with this French singer uh, earlier in the year, and we were talking about putting it out on cassette. You know, uh, we never did, but uh, you know, that that stuff has a certain appeal for sure. Absolutely. There was just a lot of care, I think, in the way that people. You know, made their mixtapes and uh, mm. all that stuff. All the, the all the culture associated with music consumption has has changed. I I think for the worse. Mm. You know, you would have a friend in high school who would make you a mixtape, and he'd like do little artwork for you. You yes. know, he'd like draw on the CD label, on the cassette label, or on the you know spine of the case, or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't get the same like tender loving care uh, where people are sort of passing the music on. From, from exactly. one to the next and even if it was you know that was free too but at least there was there was some uh, original artwork coming along with it at the same time I don't know yeah no it was all original I, I, I missed that completely I really did yeah missing or just you know like uh, just the immediacy of it the fact that you can download a song the second you hear it's out it takes away from chasing that song down and valuing it when you actually have it in your hands like, yeah. it, it's just too easy you know it's too easy to become a critic too and there's a lot of critics out there that I think just aren't worthy I saw some footage recently of Power Records on Sunset from around 1970 where they just gotten a shipment of, of albums in and oh, just, you know, you really got a sense that this was a thriving culture back then that people could really become obsessed with and dedicate their lives to. Yep. And, uh, you, you just don't get the same sense anymore. There was, that's a big room and, uh, I mean, it was like thousands and thousands of LPs and people that are lining up to buy them, you know, like shots of people at the cashier with big stacks of records. And uh, they were going to take those home and, and cherish them. Absolutely. And not to mention the people you meet there, you know, that you're all look digging for the same records or whatever. You don't get the same experience on the web, really. I, I don't. But, yeah. yeah. So how about the club scene? I know it's, I, I ask a lot of artists this. How much has it changed as far as people showing up for the, the actual oh, show? Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this, 
there's no real solution, man. It's, it's hard. It's hard getting stuff out there uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I don't get the sense of people really going out to discover new music randomly. It, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. That uh, in the past, people would go out not knowing exactly what they were going to hear, but but you know they they would take that chance, and and frequently the the, the taking the chance was was rewarded, and and they would come up on something interesting. But but now it, it's kind of the opposite. People don't want to take the chance because they've been burned so often by mm. poor performances, yeah. uh, and that's. Yeah, it, it's really unfortunate. I, I gig, but but not so much. You know, it, it's not a regular, all the time thing like I would like it to be. Uh, so I think a lot of performers, musicians, artists don't really know what to do. We're in this strange moment yeah. where it, it's hard to get people to listen to stuff. It's hard for people to get interested, and you can't really blame them. Uh, you know, the democratization of music production has opened it up completely. It's sort of like publishing, too, you know, mm -hmm. as, as a writer, you know, uh, yeah. everybody can put stuff out there mm -hmm. that has advantages and disadvantages. The advantages that, you know, if you're good, you, you don't have to worry about it, mm -hmm. uh, and you can just release your work and, and not feel like you're at the mercy of a publisher or a uh, a &R person who may or may not understand. But on the other hand, there's 10 million other people doing that, too, who aren't taking nearly as much care as you are in the production of your work. So because of that, people just sort of tend to shut it all off. You are so right? correct. Oh, yes. Oh, boy, are you correct. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So how, <laughs> how are we going to break through? How are we going to change all this? I don't know. We're in this strange transitional period, right? Yeah, really bad time to be an artist or a writer or anything at this point. I I, I see on Netflix, like, there's always these indie, indie movies, and, you know, one out of every ten are actually pretty good. But, they yeah. keep, you know, they fill them up. I, don't, I, don't, I know a lot of guys that make these movies, and I don't know. Not too many of them are making money doing it. At least right. a profit on it. They're making more money to do, do the next film, but yeah, I was yeah. just talking with a friend about this. They used to have tentpole films in you know big studios where they'd have a blockbuster that would sort of fund the you know not necessarily as commercially viable but artistically interesting you know indie style films. And they don't really do that anymore. So now everybody's yeah, just I'm going to upload my film on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, along with everyone else, right? <laughs> it's unfortunate. So, after all this being said, uh, how did HB three come about? This is your your project. Well, not your latest, but it, your ongoing project, right? Yeah, God, it's, you know, I, the, the first album came out in, in two thousand and seven. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just I I, I uh, well, I mean, a lot. Of... Excuse me. You there? And, uh, nature broke up, and that was hello, hello, hello. Yeah, I'm here. I okay. cough. I coughed and knocked you out. Sorry. Oh yeah, we're back. Well. So let's see. Nature was the end of the '90s. So right at the turn of the of the of the 21st century, right at the right at the apocalypse, you know, all sorts of crazy, horrible stuff started happening to me. My dad died, oh, and man. then I went through this horrible, horrible, you know, experience of being the executor of his estate, uh, inheriting my house, and sort of uh, squirreling myself away in here. Uh, built a home studio and started kind of mucking about, but also went back to school, got a master's degree, uh, started teaching. Uh, hmm. And in the process of all that was making music, but not really actively. So after I had gone through all of that, uh, right around, I guess it was 2006, um, I, I started, you know, seriously recording music again and put the first album out, Luminosity, in uh, 2007. Mm -hmm. And the thing that kept me going was, you know, I, I, you know we, we put out a bunch of press releases and press kits, and I got these amazing reviews right off the bat that I was not expecting, like the first review I ever got. <laughs> uh, was from a a magazine called uh, Amplifier, I think, and it just it the praise was off the charts, you know, and, and nice. that encouraged me to, to 
going and sometimes I wonder whether that was such a good thing <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good thing um, I, I, since you have it what is there four albums oh there's way more than that well I saw yeah I, well I was I was on iTunes that's you know I, I actually looked to buy these things and um yeah, which I did I, and um yeah yeah, I, yeah. I, nobody believes me but you know like I said right here in my hands is your actual CD that I miss having so yeah um so how many actually how many do you have then I don't know. I think, you know, I was making it for lost time. It depends on how you count. Probably like 10 or 11 since 2007. Wow. Okay. So the Nature album comes out in the mid-90s, and then there's a big pause. And, it's you know, I feel like I should have been making music all that time. Maybe. And so I'm kind of working at double speed at this point. And that has also prevented me from, you know, pushing that stuff mm. publicity-wise as strongly as, as I should be because, you know, I finished something, and... I start thinking about the next thing, and I start working on that instead. And, uh, you know, I, I'll send it out and play it for people. But that whole publicity side of thing, side of it, it's, it's just not that interesting to me. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention. Mm -hmm. So Luminosity comes out, and I get all encouraged by these, you know, fantastic reviews. It's like, okay, so then I start working on the next album, The Veld, and I really throw myself into that. Um, and uh, that was 2007 and 2008. And that, you know, is right when the economy explodes yeah. you know fireball right so i had uh, made huge sacrifices to record that album and everything i went through uh during that period and it was like heavy more heavy life experiences and i think you can hear it in that album but uh you know it was, it was <laughs> i i associate the making of that album now with sort of the, the devastation of american society mm -hmm. and more curious events going on in my own life and coming out on the other side of that uh, you're kind of in this wasteland now where suddenly like nobody can, nobody has any money, nobody can buy anything, nobody can afford to do anything. And uh, there were some publicists that really wanted to handle that album, uh, The Veld, but it still would have been money, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, that was like, well, well, God, like nobody has any. So it's just going to kind of sit there. Despite that, uh, it gets played, right? right? People listen to it, but I'm, I'm making those micropayments, you know, it's like, <laughs> Yeah. Point zero, 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 zero. Oh man, that's frustrating. Right. I, and the thing yeah. of it, I wonder if you agree with me. I have a theory about this that um, I don't think people really come into themselves as writers and musicians, of course, until I think you have hit the age forty and had to have some tragedy in your life, maybe once or twice. Before, before the age of forty, I, I just, I don't know. I just, I was an okay writer. Now I feel yeah. like I'm coming of age finally because life experience and people you meet. Uh, do you feel that like that? I'm, I mean, obviously. Yeah, it would, it, it would be nice if that were true, you know, and yeah, it probably is true. I mean, definitely when I do my solo piccolo bass performances, I feel like I would not be playing that music the way that I do had I not gone through hmm. the experiences of the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, absolutely. But then again, I mean, you, you, you look at the great writers through history, and it's, it's terrifying. A lot of these fuckers were dead by 40. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. You wonder what they'd be doing now, you know, or well, what they would have been doing if they got past 40. Um, oh, that's true. What, what would be a good HB3 album for the novice to start with if we were to tell somebody to go out and buy one and they can yeah, only get one? Prob you know, they're, they're sort of different. Uh, I take different approaches from album to album, but, but mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, there's sort of a pattern that, that's developed now that I've done so many of them. But there's some that are, you know, the heavy electronica mm -hmm. uh, uh, albums, like kind of like the Nature album, uh, like The Veld is an electronic album with guitar solos and vocals. Yes. Uh, and The Veld is good. So I would say The Veld and then uh, a solo piccolo bass album is called HP3 Plays the Piccolo Bass. I, I love that. I love that. 
Yeah, that's the stuff that I mostly go out and play now, just because it's it's just me, so I don't have to worry about you know other musicians. I can just show up with a guitar and an amp and and do the set. And、uh, people like that album too. That's another one that was you know it, it got a really good response. And then Ragnarok, I think, came out really well, the most recent one too. So I guess that would be the trio, and that is more of a you know guitar-driven、uh, instrumental album, no vocals, right? So. The Veld, HP3 plays the piccolo bass, and Ragnarok. I think are, are a good、uh, trilogy to to look at. Well, on that note, let's go to let's play、uh, Positive Venus, correct? Yep. Yeah, I love that one.、Uh, that's off of HP3 plays the piccolo bass. It's beautiful. This is a beautiful song. It's all I'm going to say. Let's let the people decide, and we'll get back with、uh, Hugh Bonar of Nature and of course HP3. Thanks for listening, folks. There's more coming.
That was Positive Venus. Yes, off HP3 Plays, the piccolo bass. And if you're not feeling mellow right now, then you're just not getting it. And you said you wrote this in how long? Well, I did the whole album in a week. Nice. Uh, after I had spent two years working on the Vell, so that was the point. See, I had just gone through this tumultuous production experience with uh, 10,000 instruments, 10,000 tracks, uh, <laughs> juggling all of this stuff Holy into smokes. a coherent presentation. So... I really wanted to do an album with just one instrument. <laughs> so after spending two years on that, then sat down in a fit of inspiration. Uh, uh, that was late June uh, 2009. It's unbelievable. And, and just batted it out. And I don't know where it came from. Some of it improvised. Some of it I had, you know, sort of developed before. Positive Venus, I had sort of developed that before, so I knew what I was doing. But other tracks, like uh, the first track, The Umbrellas, that was completely improvised. And then I put it together and uh, constructed it. And, you know, it was just one of those things. I felt like I, I, I finished it quickly because there was something pushing me through it. And uh, it's, a, it's a consistent vibe or, 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 or tone or, or whatever you want to call it. It, mm. it, it communicates something that, that, you know, captures that moment in time that, that is fleeting. But if you're, if you're there for it, uh, you know, it, it's nice. I wish that I, you know... As a musician, there are many moments you wish, oh, God, if only I had recorded that, you know, <laughs> like, if only I had a tape player going. Uh, and that was one of those times where, fortunately, uh, you know, the, the, the gears were churning and, and the stuff got put down. Yeah, and so you do, you answered my question, you play all the parts? Yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, uh, for better or worse. How, well, yeah, that's all the stuff that you, that sounds like guitar soloing mm -hmm. with the distorted guitar, that's actually piccolo bass. Oh wow! Okay, so it's really you know I'm, oh. I'm I think I play a six string guitar on like on the first track on the Veld album, but other than that, everything that sounds like electric guitar it's actually a four string bass. That is sweet. Yeah, it's a very unique sound. Very unique sound. How did, how did you get your musical start? Where did all this come from? Uh, you know, uh, I grew up with a with a you know my dad was a a. a, a uh, a, a history professor, but he minored in art history, so he knew about music, and he was a musician himself, and I grew up just being, you know, listening to all the great stuff. He was a classical music aficionado, so listening to classical music as a kid, uh, you know, I was, I played trumpet. I'm another, you know, bass player who also plays the trumpet. It seems like there's a lot of those out there for whatever reason. <laughs> so, uh, 12, 13, uh, 14 years old playing trumpet in, uh, you know, uh, junior high and high school. Uh, and then, you know, again, friends with Brian, uh, uh, ninth, tenth grade, we decided we were going to play in a rock band. So first we had to play instruments. <laughs> so we had enough people, but we needed to divide up who was going to play what. And I was assigned the bass. So that's, that's part. <laughs> assigned. 
I yeah. like that. That's, that's even better. <laughs> the, the first the first band was called ACAC, which was the that's what you call like anti uh, aircraft artillery fire in World War One. Oh wow! Okay. And we were playing like uh, you know Clash and uh, Who songs and uh, you know like like late you know like post punk stuff. Oh, like Ramones songs, uh, stuff like that. So that well, now I, I guess uh, I was going to ask you who your biggest supporter was. I, I guess your dad was your biggest uh, inspiration. Well, you know he was he was good because he knew all the best stuff. So I really grew up in this amazing environment where mm-hmm. I was listening to the best music, looking at the greatest art. Uh, watching great films and and talking about it because he was teaching all of this stuff. So yeah, that was that was strongly influential Strong. for sure. And then getting into high school, you know, yeah, I was I got involved in this group of friends. It was it was Brian Taylor and then some other friends that we were really close. I mean, we had this click all through high school. And you know, it was the same thing. We were like you know listening to music and talking about art and watching films and yeah, great to be in in that sort of environment with some other smart freaks. <laughs> I love that smart freaks. Absolutely, they'll take you far. They will, or bring you down. Depends which way you go. Um, well, I, that, that, it all goes together. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I do understand. Um, you know. Call, you know. As a matter of fact, I want to talk to you about specific songs here that stuck out for me off of Ragnarok. Actually, I like Nightwind um, just because it it is that. Like, mm-hmm. do you do you have these visuals in your head? Are you actually in these places when you write it? I mean, cause... oh yeah, I mean that that whole album is, is so cinematic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. it, it it's very visual, and I you know that you can probably trace that back to the nature album because we were definitely thinking cinematically. Oh, and yeah. there's all sorts of cinema influences with all the stuff we were sampling, and and for sure that that that's continued. I I, I think visually, I would love to have more sort of uh, visual presentations of this stuff, you know, um, but. Uh, I was sort of uh, trying to do, yeah, uh, who was it? Well, I mean, the electronic wind thing is the sort of thing you would get in, like, 70s electronic music. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Giorgio Moroder. Yes, and, uh, yes. Excellent. Right. I love Giorgio that. Moroder, and then uh, the, the bass style was sort of emulating uh, Chris Squire from Yes with that sort of dig in with the pick, slightly distorted sound. Uh, kind of sounds like a Rickenbacker on, you know, like a Roundabout or something like that. Uh yeah, yeah, and then kind of taking the listener through the story of Ragnarok Absolutely. in auditory form. Those last four tracks are kind of following the stages of the uh, Norse apocalypse. Yeah, I was looking at that. It ends really strong too. Uh, Remnant. It's, yeah. it's kind of an angry guitar, which you don't expect after getting like the the airiness, uh, the, yeah. the atmosphere you get with level seven or Nightwind. And then all right. of a sudden, Remnant comes in. It's like, oh, he's pissed. Somebody's pissed, and they're playing the guitar right now. And that's it, right. And, it, and again, good. that's piccolo bass. That is a four string Fender Jazz converted into a piccolo bass, played through you know distortion, played like a guitar. But uh, that's one of the things that I really enjoy is going out on stage and and taking that bass guitar out and then playing that sort of thing and it it's highly uh you know there's some people they don't like a bass player who plays like a guitar player but there's just no way out at this point you know? it's like, and it's, it's so out there you know and it, it doesn't sound that bad so i have an excuse hey you're teaching uh, again right now you're teaching my listeners stuff we're learning stuff guys we're learning so, stuff the way that album, I, I, I'm remembering it now. It's like the first half of it, I play piccolo bass, and then I switch to regular bass guitar. So Nightwind, that's a regular bass guitar. That's okay. an Olympic bass, played with a pick. And then the next couple of songs, too, regular bass, mm-hmm. and then switch back to the distorted piccolo bass on The Remnant. And that is, uh, 
you know, the 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 glorious aftermath, the rebirth of uh, of life after the devastation of the end times. And you know, it's all sort of like this corny, cliched stuff. But I thought it would be fun to try to do it sort of seriously without being, you know, without falling for, you know, the, the, the typical like metal tropes or whatever. Right. Do it in a way where, yeah, it, you're, you're sort of winking at the audience and it's kind of fun. It's kind of silly and dorky. But at the same time, you're, you're kind of taking it seriously and doing uh, serious compositions that express the ideas uh, of the story being told. So, yeah, it came out, I think. No, it's incredibly admirable. And you look at people like Wes Borland, Les Claypool, they all do that. It's the same, you know, they get this crazy imagery, but there's this talent behind it that you can't argue, right, right. You can't argue with them, you know? I mean, when you're doing camp and you're trying to be funny, it, it never works. I think when people like sort of campy material, the people who mm -hmm. are producing that sort of thing, they're, they're taking themselves seriously, right? They're, they're, they're trying to do something good. But it just has this, it has this strange combination where it's, it's kind of funny, it's kind of winsome. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, it. Oh, lost you. Serious, too. You're back. You're so back. That's what I was trying to do with the whole album. Okay. Yeah, you, we just lost you for a brief. I, I think the night wind took you for a second there. All oh, right. Sorry. Listen, uh, we're, we're going to take a quick and last break before we come back. And I think I really need, you know what? I got to hear slap. I don't know about you. Are you good with that? Go for it, man. Let's go with slap. And then we're going to, we'll come back and we're going to finish things off with Hugh Bernard. Even though I could probably talk to you all day. Uh, it's just one of those things, you know, you can't go too long with these podcasts because people have a very, very, uh, well, they, let's put it this way. They'd rather click, see, and move on. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. I hear and that's you. what we were talking about earlier. But hey, we'll be right back.
and that was slap and i gotta say that is funky and that's piccolo bass isn't it that is piccolo bass and that is from the 2009 hp3 plays the piccolo bass which is your second favorite of your albums is that what yeah it's a, it's a good one i get a good response <laughs> i have to agree fell in love from the onset that and umbrellas and umbrellas is on the um oh which one? Oh, that's on the same album same album yes 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 that that one i wanted to say uh umbrellas like i feel like the on the album cover like you're <laughs> you're sitting on the beach at night just staring yeah. at the ocean that's what umbrellas brings out in me i don't know if that's what you're meant to do yeah it's moody very moody very moody very good stuff all right now big question are you a comic book fan <laughs> <laughs> you know that's another thing i guess yeah i mean formerly i you know i haven't bought or looked at comics in a while it seems like they kind of they took a turn for the worse, like everything else. But yeah, I mean, I was definitely into, you know, '80s and '90s comics. Absolutely, we were we were collector geeks, yeah, you know, along with everything else. Yeah, you know why I bring that up, right? No. <laughs> oh come on, 2007, Rom Space Night. Oh that. Yeah. Oh that. That's a that song. I forgotten. That's yeah. off of uh, Luminosity. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that, and I, I it, it touches a chord with me because Rom really wasn't all that popular, but he was he was going on for what seventy issues, maybe more. He went, yeah, he went on forever. For it was a long long run, but then they killed yeah. him off. He died. Yeah. He uh, died. Didn't they like resurrect him though? I think I, you're probably right, but they lost me when they killed him because my grandma bought me an issue of that. I was like, oh my god, it's like you know, just I, I was heartbroken, like, and so I stopped collecting. <laughs> yeah. But, well, um, Rom is sort of a sad character, yeah. you know. He's he's off the beaten track. He's not one of the main heroes, and I guess that was part of the appeal. He's a, he's a bit of a loser, <laughs> but, you know, an appealing one. You're probably from the same, uh, so you said the 80s, right? Uh, Mid-80s yeah. to late 80s? Yeah, I was collecting big time then. Spawn was new, but I was uh-huh. going back to my, I was Swamp Thing. I was DC. I like Swamp Thing. I yeah, talk, I read too. <laughs> we talk about comics a lot on here. So that was when all the like first wave of the great Alan Moore stuff was coming out. There you go. Yes, right. exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, I, now I don't know where you are with horror, but I do have to plug myself right now. Um, there is a book coming out. Uh, we were talking a little bit off uh, uh, when we were off the uh, mics here about George Romero. Well, I work with uh, John Russo, writer of the original Night of the Living Dead, who's putting a book together with Burning Bowl Publishing. Um, comes out. It's actually available for pre-order now, but it comes out in December on paperback. Um, called Rise of the Dead. Seventeen authors writing about Night of the Living Dead, the timeline of Night of the Living Dead with their own short stories. So you're looking at 67 to 69 period and it has to fall in place with Night of the Living Dead. And yeah. uh, John Russo is putting it together. You can go to www.burningballpublishing.com and pre-order right now. I think it comes off Amazon. But yeah, I just I have to throw that out there. So um, yeah. uh, what do you think about well, that? <laughs> think about... Uh, John Russo, Night of the Living Dead, the original guy, oh, putting this well, together. Well, I mean... Yeah, that I, I love those films. Uh, again, going back to high school, actually, Brian Taylor and I uh, were watching Dawn of the Dead over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, you know, like probably many teenagers, uh, we were obsessed with that film, memorized the script, uh, <laughs> watched it dozens of times. So, yeah, I mean, that those early films. And, you know, I remember when Day of the Dead came out, we, we went to see Day of the Dead on opening day. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, we were way into it. You actually can see a lot of those folks if you come to Pittsburgh because they, they all do the cons here and a lot of, even just the zombies. I, the guy they play, I think his name is Rickles. Was that the, in Day of the Dead? He was the lead, uh, lead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, 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 he's a cool dude. He does a lot of the shows and John Russo does a lot of the shows, of course, too. Um, it's a good time. Pittsburgh, yeah. I mean, it's a place for zombies. What can I say? A lot yeah. of horror, a lot of horror out here, a lot of dark gothic music, too. But we do have a lot of that. We play a lot of that here. Um, I remember we liked the film Martin, too. I haven't seen yeah. that in a while, but I really enjoyed that film. That's a good one. That's a good one. I like that one a lot. Um, you know, all of Romero's 70s out there, he made it. You know, there was a lot of great stuff that he made. The Crazies. Yeah. And then they remade that's with, that. That's with the guy from, he has a little cameo in Dawn of the Dead, right? Yeah. He's the guy wearing the eye patch screaming about dummies. Yes, yes. Dummies! <laughs> <laughs> That guy. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I got to ask you this now because we were talking about shows earlier. Now, uh, did you have any – did you open for anybody or are you guys pretty much – you did the club no. scene yourself? Oh, my God. We were trying and trying. They were trying to – we were trying to get like opening slots for Tool. We were label mates with Tool and that oh, wasn't wow. happening. Oh, man. It was so hard to get gigs. It was just – oh, our tours were a whole other story unto themselves. We, you know, we, we toured and – in uh, 94 and 95 and no some some of them were good but many were were catastrophic and we never really got mm. a good opening slot on a tour you know i took amazing photographs from those tours and someday i'm going to scan them all and put them online there needs to be some sort of like retrospective uh, nature website because it, they're completely hilarious but what they are is sort of like n nature you know lost in america in like you know every fucked up neighborhood in the country uh, you know, hanging out at like trailer parks and truck stops. Oh, uh, you should, man. Compile it. Yeah, do it. Do a picture book. Sean Yusol from White Zombie did that, and it's a great book. She kept all the nostalgia, even like posters they would put up on 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 poles. You know that, and she yeah. had a story. Uh, you know, it was a, a paragraph about each one. You should do that. You yeah, it's hilarious stuff. You got. You should definitely do that. Well, it leads me to like this question here. Uh, what's like? Uh, what was a bad moment? Do you have any bad fan moments or bad moments on stage? You know, our fans are really cool. They're all like insane, but sort of charmingly insane. Thank you. So I don't, I don't remember anything. You know, the the, the filming of the Cometh video had some weird shit going on. Uh, they were <laughs> hanging us upside down in these gravity boots, and uh, or I didn't like being hung upside down. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we we did multiple takes, and I remember my arms completely freaking out because I was hitting the bass so hard. You can't really see it in the video, but when we would play, I mean, I was basically like. I mean, I would hit the bass really hard, and, and we had these songs where I'm just like hitting like continuous eighth notes, uh, you know, fast. Uh, and, uh, you know, I remember I had to like walk off the stage because my arms were, you know, like spasming. I went into the, the bathroom and like sat on the toilet, and this girl came in to try and help me. Just as she walked in, my arms started like convulsing, like my, like my biceps had become like broken rubber bands or something. <laughs> And she ran out of the room screaming. <laughs> <laughs> she know what was going on? Oh man. It was really weird. Yeah. It was like I had lost control of, of you know, my, uh, central nervous system or something. <laughs> That's a visual. Oh, as far man. as the gigs, no. I mean, it, it was all good. It was just, it was a struggle to get good gigs and it was a struggle to get, I remember we had problems with our booking agent and we had problems with management and it was, it was all the bureaucracy. See, that's the thing that was so terrible about it because we came into the music business really strong. Mm -hmm. And then it was everybody who was working for us or with us. 
that wasn't working out, you oh. know, and that that's what brought it all down, right? Jeez. So uh, we came to it very strong, very idealistically, very passionately, and it, it was wiped out in two years. Unbelievable. In and out like that. Yeah. Well, you got stuff going on now. Um, any current, do you have any current gigs where you're going out and playing, like coming up that you could plug right now? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm playing at the, the Pasadena Old Town Pub and, uh, I think that's the 15th on a, on a Monday. I, I do gigs, uh, at a, at a local amphitheater called the Folly Bowl, but I don't think I have anything, uh, okay. soon. Uh, recording wise, I just finished an EP with a, with a rapper out of Austin, he's named Cabrini Green. That album's called Sun Dogs, and uh, that's a 30-minute, six-song LP that will hopefully be out in the next couple of minutes. I actually just finished it yesterday. Nice. And probably going to go over to Europe to play at least in France uh, with this uh, French singer that I did another EP <laughs> earlier this year. Uh, so I'll probably be in Paris sometime. Uh, probably not until the latter part of next year. So we'll have to like update. Now this calendars. this uh, French singer has a, a special. Uh, his name's La Pinou, I believe. Yeah, the yeah. rabbit. He, he's dressed. In, he's dressed in a rabbit suit. Yes, he is. What's the deal with that? Just, uh, just uh, a thing. You know, I haven't asked. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. If you never ask and you just do it, that's probably there's even a lot better. of questions. Like, does he just have one suit? You know, I don't know. Does he does he clean it? What, like, who does he entrust to to care for this item? It's a, it's a nice suit. You know. <laughs> It's a rabbit costume within like a three-piece, you know, like double-breasted. You know, he's got a vest and then like a magician's cape, and uh, he has like a look like a cane, and he twirls the cane while he's singing these songs. Wow! And I've had friends ask, you know, is this guy a furry or you know, like what's right. the deal with this? And it's the same thing. I haven't asked, you know. Yeah, you, uh, I, I don't want to know. I don't really get that feeling. Yeah. Super nice guy. I mean, he's incredibly sweet, very soft-spoken. Uh, multi-talented artist. He's a comic book artist. He's a writer. He's okay. a filmmaker. I mean, all these all these European guys. They 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 do all this stuff. You know, they've got their little music projects. They've got their little labels. And I don't know. It seems like they function a little bit better than we do. There's there's more of a support system. I yeah. think in place out there. They, yeah, they embrace the weird a little bit more. I I, I have seen that. Uh, definitely, I, I agree. And I work a lot of comic cons, so I see a lot of that as well. And you, you do wonder if they wash these suits. Let me tell you, a lot of those kids don't do it. <laughs> Miserable experience. <laughs> oh man, oh, I, I don't even want to talk about an anime fest that I work. I can't even say the name of it here, but it was oh, it was God. a yes, stinky fest, man. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Mom and dad aren't washing the clothes for them. I'm telling you. You but, know, I never smelled anything, and I was driving this guy around, so I, I think he was taking care of himself a little bit better. He's yeah. a, a hygienic rabbit, and it's called Special Secret. Is this the that album? Is Special or? Secret, yeah. <laughs> Okay, and now what kind of music is this? What are we? What can we expect? It's 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 more like guitar-driven electronica with okay. with French with French singing. So it, it, it's rather similar to like the stuff on the Veld, but he's he's you know we got this other singer and he comes across well and you know the, I think his lyrics are good. Uh, actually, one track that we did, he didn't have lyrics, so I adapted a a, a, a poem by the by the uh, the symbolist, uh, the French symbolist Baudelaire. Uh, so you know, it's a it's a drum and bass styled track with with uh, French poetry over the top. Okay, that's wild. I'm gonna have to hear this. And now Cabrini Cabrini Green, that EP yeah. you're doing now, that's basically is it rap uh, with a with yeah, the, that's that, like ghetto tech uh, rapping. Uh, you know, he's he's from Austin, so you know he's oh, cool. he's, he's crazy. Very cool. Uh, uh, yeah, it's like. Uh, I, I, I don't know, like like cultural ephemera references and smoking weed and 
and uh, you know ghetto beats, and then lots and lots of bass. I played uh, electric bass, just traditional electric bass on that, but tons and tons and tons of uh, bass playing. Actually, there's a bit of a concept I alternate between fretted and fretless bass, uh, playing in the style first of Stanley Clark and then Jaco Pastorius, the two greatest electric bass players of all time, very influential. And then I sort of combined the two on the last track, and the last track is actually called Stanley Pastorius. And we invented a character who sort of combines the two bass players into one figure. And uh, I play both the fretted and fretless basses on that track. Man. Highly conceptual. It's just like a new, we, we closed some books and we just opened some new ones today. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, really, I don't, I'm not going to say the nature book is closed because I still have some music to hear apparently. Uh, you got some yeah. tracks I can't wait to hear. I got a lot of extra stuff. I'd love to play with those guys sometime, but I just, I don't know if they want to. You know, I think mm. a lot of those, I think at least for Andrew, he's walked away and Brian, I don't think he really, I mean, he's he's putting his energies somewhere else. So for for nature to play, although I'd love it, I you know. Well, you never know. Maybe this will spark something. Maybe one of them will come back out of the uh, out of the smoke and see. I can't blame any of you guys for walking away from something like that. But I mean, you made it. You made something. You made something awesome. It's it's got to be a cool revisit. So I'd like to yeah. see that happen. It was good for its time. You know, mm. it, it felt felt really good for for uh, you know. The, the first phase of it was was truly an amazing experience. That's cool. That's cool. Well, before we go out, we're going to go out with Ragnarok. That's just a great song. Um, you should tell the folks where to find you. Where can they find oh, you? Oh, well, you know, there's hp3.com, uh, which badly needs updating, but it is there. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, you can always, uh, you know, uh, Bandcamp, iTunes. Actually, I'm not on bank, Bandcamp. I'm on, I couldn't find you there. I couldn't find you I'm there. on everything else but Bandcamp. Uh, oh, yeah. But iTunes and Spotify, search on uh, HB3 and you'll be flooded with uh, material. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's definitely definitely worth a visit, folks. I got to tell you. And uh, while you're at it, look for Rise of the Dead. It's coming out, man. And I, I wrote a pretty sick story that takes place uh, as part of it takes place in San Francisco. Ends up in Pittsburgh, but also my, my book, The Fall of Tomorrow. It's out there. This is not a zombie book. This is demons. If you like scary monsters, try The Fall of Tomorrow. I, I'm, I'm, it's my first outing uh, at, with a novel. And um, I don't know, just give a new guy a break. <laughs> go to Amazon.com, Fall of Tomorrow is there, or go to FairlyDarkProductions.com. That is my website. And always check out Kettle Whistle Radio. Thanks for listening. And Hugh Bonar, thank you so much for coming on. Nature and HB3 and, I mean, guys in rabbit suits, we got a lot of work to do here. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Thank you, man. I appreciate hey, it. I hope you had a good time. I did. Thank you. I will talk again, man. And uh, for now, Ragnarok.
Some Lucello, okay? Okay, well, that settles that. If you're a working professional wondering what's next for your career, you've come to the right place. Whether you're looking for a promotion, growth, or a potential career transition, look no further. With over 30 years working in a variety of industries, I share my insider knowledge with those ready to get ahead on Career Advancement with Craig Ansell. Tune in to get your strategies for success. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.